Howdy folks, and welcome to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we believe that ministry is getting people to deal with how God has revealed himself to us in his word. We exist for the convinced and unconvinced, and believe that you are never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace, while at the same time you are never so bad that you stand outside the reach of his grace. What this podcast is, is a collection of our large group sermons given by our campus minister, Austin McCann. We hope you enjoy the talk. Our reading today is 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king amongst his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came meeting him, trembling, and said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said, Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not what man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now, uh, now, he, and, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we get to share together. Um, RUF, the first uh, week back from break. Uh, Please open our hearts, open our eyes uh, to hear your word, to see your grace, to see your love. Uh, speak through Austin as he preaches about um, Daniel's or, uh, David's life. Um, thank you for this time that we get to spend together and uh, help us to enjoy it. Let me pray. Amen. Let's see. Uh, how are y'all? Uh, look. Welcome back to another year of RUF. Man, uh, it's really, really good to see you guys. Uh, feels like we haven't left. At the same time, it feels like a long time, too. So it's really good to see all spaces. Uh, glad to be back. Uh, look, I hope you've been okay during this, like, Texas polar vortex that we have going on. I hope RUF can provide some warmth and rest for you. And really, this is your first time walking through the doors of Allface Chapel to RUF. We're really glad you're here. Uh, Look, I know the fall is like kind of a crazy semester, and I don't know, there's a lot lots going on. So if this is your first time here, 
I want to get to know you. My name's Austin. I'm the campus minister here. Uh, Emma Pearson, would you stand up real quick again, Emma? Emma is uh, our REF intern, female uh, here, so she's awesome. Uh, girls, if you want to meet with her, she would ha be happy to do that with you, talk about Jesus, talk about the Bible. Uh, that's what I'm here for as well. Uh, look, it's a new semester. Uh, last semester uh, was a little bit different because normally our pattern in RUF large group is we take a book of the Bible and we march through it. And last semester was a little bit different because every four years in the fall, we take a look at what the Bible has to say about relationships. And so this spring, what's happening is we're going back into the Bible. I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to be back into Scripture. Uh, so we're going to be in the books of the Old Testament in 1st and 2nd Samuel, okay? And as we begin tonight, we're, we're specifically studying the life of this man and this king named David. And my question for us tonight is why? <laughs> like, why study about an old king who lived over 3,000 years ago? Like, really? Like, why spend a semester observing this ancient king's life? Well, before we answer that question, which we will, okay, I think it's just as, just as important to answer, why do we study the Bible at all? all right, well, there's a lot of different ways that you can answer that question, but first, especially if you're new to RUF tonight, we believe that the Bible is God's word. That it's not just an encyclopedia of information for us to gain more knowledge and to puff ourselves up and to flaunt uh, ourselves to be these professional Christians that just kind of know a lot about these old stories about the Bible. Nor do we believe that the Bible is just merely this code of conduct that teaches, uh, teaches us just to be like a better person. It's certainly nothing less than that. But we believe Hebrews 4.12 and what it says. That the word of God is living and active. That it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That it's piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow. And it has the power to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. In other words, we believe the Bible, by the work of the Holy Spirit, does have the power to transform your life. That as we study First and Second Samuel this semester, what you will find is that God's word is actually studying you. That as we getting into God's word, we believe that actually God is, God's word is getting into us, not the other way around. So we believe God's word truly does apply to all of your life as a student, as a brother and sister, as a son and daughter, as a friend, as, as a future engineer. Right? It, it has the power to discern the thoughts and the affections and the actions of your heart because that is what God actually cares about. He cares about your hearts. Which is actually what tonight's passage teaches us. Because the Bible is, is God's one big redemptive story, okay, from beginning to end. And we believe that within that one big redemptive story, there are many smaller stories and many different types of literatures and genres that are connected to serve this overall message and the purpose of God's one redemptive plan in sending His Son to die for the salvation of, uh, for sinners. That's what we believe. That's the gospel that we believe in RUF. And that's the gospel that we believe not only saves us, but we believe transforms us to become more and more like King Jesus. Until one day we'll see him face to face. That's why we meet every week at large group on Wednesdays. That's why we come together. And so I wanted to clearly communicate that to you if this is your first time here. That's why we meet for RUF. It's because we believe that God's word has the power to change your life. 
So I'm actually going to do this tonight. I'm going to pray for us and ask that God would accomplish that for us this semester. So would you bow your heads with me and let me pray. Uh, Father, what a gift to open your word this evening. Lord, I ask by the power of your spirit and by your word that Aggie RUF would be a place that does not seek after its own glory and seek to make our names great. Would we please be a ministry on this campus that is not distracted by our, our external image, our outward performance, our productiveness, our competence, our intelligence, our talents? But would we be a ministry and a community that is characterized by a campus minister and by students who are in desperate need of your grace, who are hungry for the word of your truth, who love what you love, who hate what you hate, who care more about what you care about, which is the intentions and the thoughts and the actions of our hearts. Father, we know that there are thousands of things competing for the throne of our hearts in the new year. Busyness and fear of the future, pleasing others, academic success, what we physically look like, productivity, achieving our New Year's resolutions, and so much more. But Father, I ask that as we study the life of King David in this series, would you please look upon each of our hearts? You promise us that you can transform us and change us. We cannot ultimately change ourselves without your help. So help us to choose what you choose. Would you bless our time together this semester? Because we know that prayer and fellowshipping with one another, it looks weak to this world. Studying your word looks even weaker and crazier. But these are the ordinary means that you have chosen to display your extraordinary and transformative grace in our lives. You've chosen the weak and the unlikely things in this world to shame the strong. You chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. You chose an unlikely king Jesus, to die in an unlikely way on the cross for an unlikely people, sinners like us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, therefore, we live out of the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, please help us to believe that this semester. Also help our unbelief. Would you please help us to look upon the heart of Jesus, true kingliness, and trust more and more each day and through our series that our hope, our daily assurance, it rests not in our circumstances or in our outward appearance or even in our unrighteousness. But our hope rests in tonight and forevermore in the love of Christ alone. Amen. Alright, as we step into our passage this evening, okay, we encounter the process of God choosing a new king for the nation of Israel. And what you'll find is it's not what you expect. So if you're a note taker tonight, you've got two brief points, okay? The surprise of God's choice and the beauty of God's choice, okay? So the, the surprise of God's choice and the beauty of God's choice. All right, so I think context is really important here as we kick off this semester, okay? Because how did we get here, right? What led to the events recorded in First and Second Samuel? Well, at this point in history, in biblical history, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, is at a very interesting leadership transition, okay, from judges to kings, from judgeship to kingship, right? If we trace, if we trace back to the beginning of the Bible, you have some major events and different stages that lead, that lead up to this point in our passage. 
All right, so let me trace that for us really quickly. If we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, we see creation that all of world history begins with a God who is our creator and king and creates all things out of nothing. And then we find that the fall occurs, that Adam and Eve sin and rebel against God. And then we see the promise of the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. And God says that one day he will send his son to deliver his people from their sins. And from here we see God's covenantal love for his people by rescuing Noah and his family from the great flood. And then in Genesis 12, God makes a promise of Abraham, a covenant promise, that he, will, that he will be with them and he will extend that love to his sons, to Jacob and to Isaac and to Joseph. And then you come into biblical history where you find the great exodus, where Israel is in bondage for 400 years in Egypt, but God rescues and delivers his people out of the hands uh, from the Egyptians. And he leads them out into the wilderness to the land of promise where they finally conquered Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. And following this time period is a very, very dark time in the nation of Israel, in the book of Judges. Okay, it's a period of anarchy where you see again and again this common phrase that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. A scary place to be for the nation of Israel. And so you have this downward cycle of sin over and over again. But God, continually to be faithful, raising up a judge or a leader to deliver his people again and again and again. This is the progression that leads to our passage tonight. And in all of this, Okay, geography is important, okay? Israel was located in a very high-trafficked area. This is going somewhere, I promise, all right? It was a land bridge between nations, right? Located below it in the, in the southern region was Egypt, all right? You had Moab and Edom over to the east. You had the Philistines between the Mediterranean Sea and, and the Israelites kind of in between them. And so you had all of these enemies surrounding the nation of Israel. Which meant that Israel was attacked all the time. Why is all of that important for our passage tonight? Because in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19, Israel is at a point where they cry out to Samuel, a very important figure that we'll talk about more throughout our series. But the prophet Samuel, the last judge of Israel, they say to him, Samuel, appoint a king over us, that we may also be like the other nations around us. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. You see, in Israel's eyes, they are looking around at the other nations that had mighty kings. And out of fear, they say, all right, God, we need a human king to protect us. And if you read enough of the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. If you read enough of the Old Testament, what you begin to learn is this pattern. That when Israel tries to borrow ideas or idols from other nations, things do not go well. And despite this prophet, this character, Samuel, okay, warning Israel that having a human king was a really bad idea, God in his providential grace says, okay, you've rejected me as king, but I'm going to give you what you want, which is always scary. So God raises up the first king of Israel, and his name is Saul. And we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And Saul was everything that Israel wanted in a king. He was handsome. He was a mighty warrior. He was taller than any other man, something I'll never experience. But the top of men's heads, okay, came to his shoulder, right? He, he was the perfect military king that you wanted. And for, and for a while, Israel was successful under Saul's reign. 
But that ended really quickly when Saul self-destructed and turned away from God. And then God rejected him as king. And God said, okay, this is enough. I'm going to raise up another king. But this time, it would be an unlikely king that no one would expect. And this is where we pick up in our verse, in verse 1 of our passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Is that the surprise of God's choice of a new king. Because in verses 1 through 7 in our passage that Carl read for us, what we see is that God sends Samuel to Bethlehem. And he tells him that one of Jesse's sons would be a king. He doesn't tell Samuel which one. But in verse 6, Samuel sees the first son, Eliab. And it's the, he's the oldest son. And he sees this tall, beautiful man and says, man, that's got to be him. This has got to be God's choice. And God says no. And in verse 7, in the heart of, which is the heart of our passage tonight, God looks at Samuel and he says this. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And really, I'm sympathetic to Samuel in this, okay? Because Samuel is the guinea pig here for us all. Because this verse underscores the peril of all of our impressions. Right? We've been told growing up that don't judge a book guy by its cover, and that's certainly a phrase and a principle that we're all familiar with. But the Bible says that God and man see very differently. Right? In our natural state, humans always look at the outward appearance, the external. But God is the only one who sees truly. And the beauty that he sees is always internal. See, if it were up to Samuel, Eliab, like Saul, who was the first king, who was beautiful and tall and talented, would have been the next king, and that would have been gone very horribly. Like, these were the yell leaders of their time, okay? The beautiful, talented, charisma, yoked, whatever, okay? Surely these are the guys that are going to be our leaders, right? And it needs to be said, okay, it's not sinful. It is also not wrong to be beautiful and to have all of those things. Young leaders are great, love them, awesome, okay? Uh, that's, that's awesome, really, right? As if ugliness somehow constitutes kingship or leadership. That's not true, okay? Because our text tells us that even David himself was beautiful. He, he was handsome. He was ready. The point of verse 7 is this, is that it is driving home that the abiding problem in all kingdoms in all cultures, throughout all time, is that we are so easily seduced and distracted by external beauty. That's just how we are. That's what sin has done to us. And what Scripture is holding out for us is that we need God's eyes. Right? We have a hard time discerning someone's character because we are too easily impressed with the externals. Right? Just... Like, just think about social media for a second, okay, and what that has done in, in, in provoking that, right, and promoting that. And even think about one even extreme example of pornography, right, that we put more pressure on physical appearance than ever before. Right, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Monday. Like, if I could quote one of his most famous lines in his I Have a Dream speech, he says this, I have a dream that my four little children one day will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of, their, color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Think about how pornography reverses that statement. Right? Pornography, 
for, for an extreme example, right? It, it trains you to look at the quality and the beauty of the skin and not the content of someone's character. In other words, pornography trains you to look the exact opposite way that God looks. And by the way, th- this external appearance is not only limited to, fi- to physical features, but also the features that we all, if we were honest, adore here at AM, right? Performance, talent, intelligence, pr- productivity, charisma, busyness. Things that so easily seduce us over evaluating not only someone else's heart, but even our own heart. Like, dare to look beneath the surface and try and look at your own heart tonight. Like, it's worth asking, are images dominating you? Does something on a screen or the mirror in the morning dictate how your day will go? Like, what is important to you and your boyfriend or girlfriend or your future spouse? Is it their character? If God saw your heart tonight, right now, which he does, what would he see that sits on its throne? Let me ask you that again. If God sees your heart tonight, which he does, what would he see that sits on its throne? You see, the Bethlehemites, when... When God sends Samuel to go to Bethlehem, the Bethlehemites, the the Israelites, that day, they would have been surprised when Samuel passed over Eliab, the eldest son, who always has the rights to everything, by the way, in Scripture and and, and, in those times. And then the seven other brothers passing over them, because to them, the Israelites' true kingliness at that time was someone who could actually physically protect them. Intimidate their enemies, fight their battles for them. This was Jesse's eighteen and his seven his seven sons. And like, if, if we were to contextualize this shock and the surprise of what they felt, okay, the best I can I can shoot for here, like the closest thing I could think of to surprise the Israelites and also surprise us would be like overlooking some of the most talented, handsome candidates for Yale leaders, and then taking a freshman blend student. And making them a, a, the head yell leader without any practice. Or, or taking a fish in the core on their first day and sitting them in the chair and having them fitted for their senior boots without doing a thing. A choice that none of us would make. That's a small taste of the shock and the surprise that these Israelites were experiencing and God choosing their king. That's what they're about to experience. Because God is saying what keeps a kingdom going is not tactician or talent, but it is someone's heart. And this leads us to our last point, okay? Is the beauty of God's choice. Because in verse 8, God passes over Abinadab. In verse 9, he passes over Shema. And then eventually all seven brothers. And Samuel asks Jesse, well, like, do you have any more sons? And Jesse replies, he's like, like, oh yeah, there's, there's, remains the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. And Je- Jesse doesn't even mention his name. And Samuel says, okay, go get him. And David arrives, and God says, this is the one. Anoint him, he will be your king. You see, in Jesse's mind, there was no need to invite David. He was the youngest. And so at that time, he could just look after the sheep. It didn't matter. 
One author said this, that by sheer youth, David has been excluded from, from consideration as a kind of male Cinderella, left to his domestic chores instead of being invited to the party. You see, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, and it's sometimes hard to capture the full meaning when translating English. Anyone who has translated any kind of language to another understands this, right? It, it's hard to capture the full meaning of something when you're translating from one language to another. But the word youngest that Jesse uses is not simply small or youth, but so insignificant is this youngest son that the word literally means runt. So insignificant is this guy that they didn't even bother to bring him into the celebration. His own father forgot about him. In C.S. Lewis's uh, book, The Great Divorce, uh, it is a story, it's a great book, I would Please go read it uh, this semester. Be a great read. Um, it's a story about these group of people who, who travel up from hell to heaven on a bus, and they take a tour of heaven. Uh, it's a fascinating story and, and perspective that, that C.S. Lewis does, uh, provides for you. But there's this scene where one of the main characters is, is standing with his tour guide, and they're looking out across heaven, and they're just observing, like, what's going on. And out of nowhere, this, this woman with unbearable beauty appears with all of these children around her singing to her and like playing instruments and celebrating her. Like with animals around her as well. And the main character like looks at her and asks the tour guide, he's like, man, like that woman, she must have been amazing. Like, like she hadn't even been a celebrity on her. And the tour guide quickly responds and says, actually not at all. It's someone that you would have never heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. But every child that came her way, she loved and she treated as if they were, they were her own. You see, fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. You see, one of the main things that God does in his Bible is that he stands human logic on its head. He reverses the world's values. That's the pattern that you find throughout Scripture. You see, David doesn't fit the Israelites' kingly paradigm. Everywhere in the Bible, when God delivers salvation, he always deliberately does it in the reverse. Instead of choosing the eldest, he chooses the youngest. God chooses Abel, not Cain. He chooses Isaac, not Ishmael. He chooses Jacob, not Esau. He chooses Moses, not Aaron. He chooses old, barren Sarah, not young, fertile Hagar. He chooses unlovely and unwanted Leah, not gorgeous Rachel, to bring about his salvation into the world. He always chooses the girl that nobody wants and the son that everyone forgets. In this, God is inviting us to see the way that he sees. See, 1 Corinthians tells us, if we fast forward all the way to the New Testament, I'm paraphrasing here. Okay, Jews want power and the Greeks want intellect. But Jesus Christ crucified his weakness to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. But to those who are being saved, it is true wisdom and true power. See, as we study the rest of our series, The Life of King David, this is my hope. Shutter Island. Anyone ever seen that movie? Okay. Read that book? All right. Um, look, Shutter Island, it's a story, it's a book, it's also a movie. It, it follows the story of a man named Teddy Daniels. Played by, played by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. 
who is this lawman investigating the dis- disappearance of an inmate at this uh, psychiatric uh, facility. Sorry, spoiler alert. This is your fault, not mine. Uh, yeah, so this is on you. Okay. Plug, plug your ears if you want to. Um, right, but the ending reveals that Teddy Daniels is actually a patient in the psych- psychiatric facility. Okay, The doctors at the facility create this intricate role-playing game to guide Teddy back to reality and somehow to confront the trauma that he's, that, uh, of his past. Okay, But the problem is that when you see this movie, or any movie similar to that, is that you can only watch that movie twice. Because now that you know the ending, you can't ever unsee all the clues that you missed before. Right? In every scene, when you watch it a second time, you notice, oh, like that's why his partner was talking that way. Or, oh, like I can see that they're all actually in on it, and he's totally unaware. The same thing is happening in when we study the life of David this semester. Because David is a shadow who is pointing us to another child of Bethlehem. He's pointing us to another son who is not only forgotten by his father, but was forsaken by his father. He's pointing us to another king that was also rejected by his own people. And Isaiah tells us that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no external beauty that we should desire. Aggie RUF, we have an unbearably beautiful and unlikely king, and his name is Jesus, who dies in an unlikely way on a cross for an unlikely people, sinners, you and me. This is the gospel, and this is God's heart on display. Salvation that is only found in His Son, King Jesus. My hope is that if this is your first time, or this is your 50th time to argue that, my hope is that you will join us this semester. And as we study the life of David, we will never be able to unsee the life of King Jesus. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we, we trust this truth. The flowers fade, the grass withers, but your word alone remains forever. What a joy, what a gift. Lord, we celebrate that and trust that as you lead us through the life of David, would you help us to see the heart of Christ? Or would you look upon our hearts? Would you expose our hearts? Would you humble us? Would you teach us what it means to be transformed in the image of your Son? Would you give us strength to love this campus? Would you give us power to love and forgive one another? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it transforms us. And we thank you for sending us, an unlikely king, your son Jesus. It's his name, his name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.